And let's read aloud. Acts eleven nineteen. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Shall we pray? Father, this morning we give you thanks and praise for the blessing of the time that we have had to worship you and to praise you, to consider the opportunities, Lord, to serve you this week and in the weeks to come. But we thank you most for your word that today we want to learn of and study from and grow in. And so we pray that you would bless us and pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. And grant us wisdom and understanding, Lord, as we seek to grow in all of your grace and in all of your knowledge. Let these words speak to our hearts. May we, Lord, truly find those things that will encourage us in our walk with you. Strengthen us in these things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You all may be seated. The thought of prejudice is nothing new in the church. As a matter of fact, in the section of our text that we have yet to read, verses 1 through 18, we'll see a good indication of that from certain Jewish believers in Jerusalem toward Peter and the Gentiles from Caesarea who have come to faith in Jesus Christ. Now what some people may call conscience, even in spiritual or religious matters, still ends up being prejudice or discrimination. Now notice that in the early days of the church, prejudice was on the side of the Jews against Gentiles. But later on, when the church would grow with many more Gentiles receiving the Lord and coming into faith into Jesus Christ, prejudice would be on the side of the Gentiles against the Jews. And unfortunately, it led to what we call in modern times anti-Semitism. I have to tell you that none of it is good. None of these prejudices were good for the church. But to be fair... We have to consider what the Jews heard from God 
where they struggled with this issue of the Gentiles. They would listen to the Word of God and they would hear in Isaiah 43 verse 21, the Lord saying of them, the people I have formed for myself, or this people I have formed for myself, they shall declare my praise. Speaking of them. There were so many who believed that because the Lord brought the law of God uh, to the children of Israel, that they considered themselves uh, special people. And certainly they were because the Lord had chosen them. But special even to the extent that no one else mattered. Yet, if you look at all of the scriptures in the Old Testament dealing with God choosing uh, the Jewish people, it was so that they would bring the knowledge of Christ to the Gentiles. So there are many, many verses of scripture in which we have time to go over them all. So there are many verses like this one, verse uh, uh, 21 of Isaiah 43, that that speak of God calling the Jews to a separation from the sins of the Gentiles who, <coughs> who were supposed to be seen as pagans and outsiders. And so tradition then dictated that a Gentile had to become a Jew in order to be accepted. And what was even stranger in, in, the, in the early church was that because the early church was made up of primarily Jewish people, that Gentiles coming into the church had to become Jews before they became Christians. Or at least became Jews along with being Christians. But now, Jews and Gentiles were being united in the church through faith in Jesus Christ. And the wall of partition was being broken down, just as the Apostle Paul would write about later in his his letters to Galatians and, and to the Ephesians. In Galatians 3, verses 26 to 28, for example, he writes, For you are all sons of God, through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, and there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's tearing down the wall completely, isn't it? And all the walls of traditions and customs that separated people in many different ways. But then he would write to the Ephesian church, which was primarily Gentiles, and he would tell them in Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 16, he would say, Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. In other words, the uncircumcision were the Gentiles, the circumcision were the, were the Jews. That at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made both one, now remember, both Gentile and Jew, one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation or partition, having abolished in His flesh the enmity or the hostility, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in Himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that He might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. So how clear it is that that was really the goal for the church, to be both or to be filled with both Jew and Gentile. And that the Jews and the Gentiles would become one. And in essence, before God, there would be no Jew, no Greek, no slave, no free, no male, no female, in the sense that we are all one in Christ. 
So we see now in the first part of Acts chapter 11, how the greatness of the work among the Gentiles in Caesarea could not be kept hidden. Even from the believers 50 miles away in Jerusalem, they began to hear what was taking place up uh, uh, there along the coast in Caesarea. Where Peter had gone because they had come for him and taken him to Cornelius' house. Where they were waiting to hear what words God would give to Peter to tell them how they could be saved. But in fact, there was no real desire to hide this at all from anyone. Even though the, the news itself would stir Jewish, uh, certain Jewish believers to be offended and confused. As we see in verses 1-3 through 3 now of Acts chapter 11. Let's turn there. It says, Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, now you would think, just stop there for a moment, you would think, wow, the Gentiles are receiving the word of God. Everybody should be rejoicing. But notice what happens. When Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision, who are those? Those are the Jewish believers. Those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, You went into an uncircumcised, or you went into uncircumcised men and ate with them. You just crossed the line of our of our traditions. You just crossed the line of our customs and our rites and our rituals here. And you have to understand that sharing a meal in that culture was a special sign of fellowship with the people you ate with. And it's that way still today. And as you sit and eat the same meal, you're sharing together and you're having fellowship. You're having communion, as it were, with those, those people across from you or with you or next to you. And Peter ate with the uncircumcised. He ate with the Gentiles. And it frustrated these Jewish believers. Do you know that even Jesus faced this kind of prejudice? Although it wasn't directed toward Gentiles per se, but toward the disliked Jews, you know, the, the tax collectors and the sinners that the Pharisees and the scribes, you know, would point out to Jesus, how can you be having anything to do with them? Because they would consider the sinners and the, and the tax collectors, you know, the ones who had, had linked themselves with Rome, you know, and, and, and made the, their own money off of their own people, you know, they, they considered them traitors, you know, almost like Gentiles. In Luke chapter 5, as a matter of fact, in verses 27 to 32, here's the account. It says, after these things, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. And so, and by the way, Levi is, is Matthew, who writes the Gospel of Matthew. And he said to him, follow me. And so he left all, he rose up and he followed him. And then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house. And, and there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. And their scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Now remember, they're, they're actually directing that question to Jesus, but they're asking the disciples. <laughs> but Jesus answers them. And he says to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners, to repentance. Now you would think that he's talking about the tax collectors and the sinners, and he was, but he was talking more toward them, the Pharisees and the, and the scribes, that they were the sinners who needed the great physician. 
And so going back to Peter and, and coming back to Jerusalem, you know that the Jewish believers didn't understand as of yet. They didn't understand the relationship between law and grace. They didn't understand the relationship between the Jews and the Gentiles. And more importantly, between Israel and the church. They didn't understand it. Now, we can understand it. We understand it, but then again, we have all of the New Testament. We have all the letters of the apostles who have written to show us what God wanted to do in bringing both Jew and Gentile into the church. So religious and cultural traditions even today are still very hard to break. And it takes people out of the sense of what grace is and puts them back into some kind of legal positions or legal understandings or legalism as it were. And that was the struggle at this time. And so at this point, Peter now wants to explain his ministry to the Gentiles. I love what it says in the King James. It says that Peter rehearsed, not as if he was practicing in front of them, but, but he's, he's actually going over everything that took place in his life in the last few days, in the last few weeks, in getting to Joppa and, and letting them know, this is what happened. This is why I had fellowship with these Gentiles. And you'll notice in verse 4 it says, but Peter explained, and by the way, I'm going to read a, a, long, a large section because we've covered pretty much all of this information the last couple of weeks. But it says, Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying. You know, I would, I would underline the word praying if you mark your Bibles. Don't mark our own Bibles, but mark your Bibles. There, and, and the word praying, they're really important. Mark that. Peter says, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, an object descending like a great sheet, led, him, uh, led down from heaven by four corners, and it came to me. And when I observed it intently and considered, I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord. For nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven. What God has cleansed, you must not call common or unclean. Now this was done three times. And all were drawn up again into heaven. At that very moment, three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent to me from Caesarea. And then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me. Now, it's important to note that, uh, that Peter takes witnesses with him. He didn't know what was going to happen in Caesarea, but it was a good thing that he took these witnesses because of what did take place. That these people in Jerusalem needed to know that something happened that God was in control of. So he mentions, moreover, these six brethren accompanied me. And then he says, and we entered the man's house. You know that Peter doesn't even mention Cornelius' name. And that kind of lets you know a little bit about the little fear that Peter still had about this Gentile thing. Doesn't mention Cornelius' name, but that's all right. And he goes on, and he, in verse 13, and he, tell, and he goes on and he says, And he told us, speaking of Cornelius, And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house who said to him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. Here was a man who, who loved God and honored God, but he knew that he needed more than just the knowledge of God. 
And so here's the word expanded for us now to understand that Peter was going there to tell them how to be saved. And as I began to speak, he says, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. In other words, he fell upon them, the Gentiles, as he did upon us at Pentecost, the Jews. And then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them, the Gentiles, the same gift as He gave us, the Jews, when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? What a tremendous statement that Peter makes. Now let's make some important observations here first of all. Peter first and foremost began his recounting of the events with a statement, I was in the city of Joppa praying. I was in the city of Joppa praying. Those, You see, those who contended with him had to realize that Peter was a man of prayer and therefore not acting in a spirit of self-will. He was seeking the face of God. He was wanting to know that he was exactly where God wanted him to be. He wanted to know exactly why he was where he was in the house of Simon the Tanner uh, on his way now to wherever God was going to send him. He was praying. He was seeking the Lord. You see, the events begin with a man of God on his knees, communing with and speaking to his Lord. And that should be an encouragement to us that we need to be men and women of God on our knees, communing with, speaking to our God, speaking to Him and letting Him speak to us through His Word. Open Bible, always before us, wanting to know, Lord God, what are You saying to us? What are You saying for us to do? Or what are You saying for me to do uh, on Your behalf in my life? Peter was a praying man. Secondly, in relating the vision given to him as he's telling the Jews in Jerusalem, Peter honestly shares how he thought God was speaking about food. (laughs) But would come to understand that the vision of the sheet had to do with people and not food. You remember how it began? It was noon, he goes up to the top of the house to pray, he's hungry, he smells the food, God gives him a vision of all these animals, he tells him, rise Peter, kill and eat. He says, it's about food. And the Lord says, no it's not. It's not about food. What I've called clean, you no longer can call common. And then, these men appear. It's about people, isn't it? We can even say now that the sheet represents the church. The church that is to be made up of kosher and unkosher, with no distinction. The kosher being the Jewish people who have come to Christ. The unkosher being the Gentiles who have come to Christ. All clean because of Jesus Christ. No distinction. The third observation to consider here is the significance of the vision being given three times. Now we've talked about Peter and then the, the three, the number three in his life, you know, the, the three times that he denied the Lord, the three times that Jesus spoke to him and asked him, do you love me? And the three times that the Lord has to speak to him in this particular vision, and that's the one we need to consider. Because as God is doing this to Peter, it was the Holy Spirit's way of teaching the dullest of hearts God's ways. And you see, it says a lot about God not giving up on telling His people or telling the people that He wants to speak something to and and making sure that they finally get it. How many times does Peter have to hear something before he gets it? And I'm not just trying to pick on Peter. How about us? How many times does God have to speak to us before we get it? 
You see, Peter was saying, in effect, that God had to drill it to him, drill it into him three times. And to some extent, we would even think that he would say, you know, to the Lord, you know, first of all, I couldn't see it. And secondly, I wouldn't see it. But eventually, I could see it clearly. The third time. How are we sometimes when God speaks to us? The Lord says something to us, we say, well, I can't see it. The next time He speaks, I, don't, I wouldn't see it. Then the third time, once He really puts it down on us, we say, okay, I see it now. Let me say that that's not the pattern I want you to adopt here. I want you to know when the Lord speaks to you the first time, listen to Him. It saves a lot of steps. saves a lot of problems. saves a lot of trials. Look at what happened to Peter. When he was boasting that, you know, nothing was going to happen to Jesus, he wasn't going to let anything happen to the Lord. And the Lord says, you're going to deny me three times. And he denied him three times. You see? But it's not just Peter. Because the same would apply to the dull hearts of Israel. And it really did apply to the dull hearts of Israel. Because in Isaiah 20 verse 10, or I should say Isaiah 28 verse 10, when they should be listening to what God is saying to them, Instead, they were dull of hearing. And so what God has to say to them, well, for precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. Three things. Precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little. How much and how many times does God have to speak to His own people before they get it? Because they're dull of hearing. We have God's Word. We need to be sharp in hearing what God is saying to us. But now we're more than just dull of hearing, we're dull of, of, of seeing and, uh, and dull of, of, of looking into what God is saying. And He says to us three times, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little, I want to get to you until you get it right. But how many times do I have to speak to you before you get it right? So that's an important thing that Peter mentions to them, three times the Lord had to speak to me about this. But the conclusion of Peter's account now is of utmost importance. Look at verse 15 of Acts 11. He says, And as I began to speak, as he was preaching the gospel, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, upon Cornelius and his household, as upon us at the beginning. And then I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gift as He gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? Am I going to tell God, don't do that, Lord, they're Gentiles. Am I going to tell God that? You see, the Holy Spirit falling on all who were in Cornelius' home showed that God's stamp of approval was on this ministry to the Gentiles. And the question arises, how could these Jewish believers withhold their approval when God was giving His? God gave His approval. And we know from the account of what happened, as they received the Holy Spirit, they gave evidence of that by speaking in tongues. So now, three witnesses are given. Three evidences, I should say, are given. Well, three witnesses or testimonies of what's taking place, of God's approval are given. 
Three pieces of evidence were presented by Peter to his Jewish brethren. The first was the vision from God. He told them exactly what he had seen from God, and he saw it three times. The second was the witness of the Spirit, the Spirit falling upon the Gentiles, the Gentiles responding that they had received the Spirit by the very same evidence that was given at Pentecost. And then the witness of God's Word. The third and most important witness was God's Word. Because he says, I remembered then the words of the Lord. John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So he knows the Word, he gets the Word, he receives the Word from Jesus, and then he realizes because of the work that has taken place, the Word of God has confirmed that. In Acts chapter 1 verse 5, as a matter of fact, this is what he's referring to. Because Jesus tells them, For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And it happened at Pentecost. And, and the Spirit came upon the 120. Peter went out and preached. 3,000 came to know Jesus. The Spirit fell upon them. And so to the question that Peter asked, the contentious Jewish believers, they had no answer. Could I withstand God? And in essence, can any of us withstand God when we see all of these evidences taking place? There was no answer. Look at verse 18. When they heard these things, they became silent. And they glorified God. Saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. When they heard these things, they became silent. When Peter gave them all of this evidence, there was silence. And I don't know for how long, but there was silence. That's silence. That's my illustration right there, silence. Nobody said a thing. And I don't know how long that silence was, but after the silence, something else happened. They glorified God. They glorified God. You see, this was a stunned silence. They were stunned by the fact that they could not question the Word of God. They could not question the witness of the Spirit. They could not question the vision that God had given to Peter. And yet they rested from their active contention and their active opposition. And out of that silence came a resounding glory to God. They were now, they were now willing to be guided by God. Not by tradition, not by their customs. They were now willing to be guided by God. Listen, many of us came out of a lot of different traditions. And we struggle, well, you know, sometimes we get into a church like ours here and then and we don't, they don't do everything the same way we do and they don't do all the things that we saw everybody else doing, but we can only give you the witness that God has given us, which is His Word. That's what we teach. That's what we stand upon. Are we willing to be guided by God, by His Word, by His Spirit? These were now willing to allow their prejudices and their traditions to be overcome by God's work and by God's Word. And it's important that you understand that they were to be overcome by God's work and God's Word together. Not just God's work. 
Because you see today, there are a lot of people that say, look at what God is doing over here. Look at what God is doing over there. And you know, but you go in and you check it out, but if they are doing things that are outside of the will of God and the Word of God, you know what? That's just activity. It's not God's work. Because God's work will always be uh, uh, confirmed by God's Word. So there can be a lot of activity going on in a lot of different places. But if they're doing things that are outside of, the, of God's Word, weird things, I can assure you that, that God's, God's hand is not on that. Because God's Word has to confirm it. And so with the door now open to the Gentiles, we are now moved by the Holy Spirit ourselves into Gentile lands here in the text. And so we come to our reading today, verse 19 and following. And you'll notice... The scene changes. We're taking a few steps back in time. It says in verse 19, Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen, Stephen the, uh, the disciple or the, the deacon that was, was stoned to death for his preaching the, the gospel of Jesus, and Peter, uh, I should say Paul as Saul of Tarsus was there and, uh, and, and, and affirming it. In other words, the stoning. It says, those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists. Now, these Hellenists are actually Greeks or Gentiles, not believers. We're not talking about the Hellenists that were actually Jews who lived in these other areas, but had come to Jerusalem uh, during the time of, of, the, of Pentecost, during the time of, of, of the feast, you know, when they received the, you know, the knowledge of Jesus Christ. These Hellenists are really Greeks, or as it were, Gentiles, living in, in, in these lands, not Jewish so it says that uh, they, uh, these men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who were probably men who had received the Lord at, at Pentecost, and I'll, I'll talk about that in a moment, when they had come to Antioch, they spoke to the Hellenists, they spoke to the Gentiles preaching the Lord Jesus. But you'll notice in verse 21 it says, And the hand of the Lord was with them. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. And then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. In other words, now not 50 miles away, but 300 miles away from Jerusalem, the news gets back to Jerusalem that even in Antioch, Gentiles are receiving the Lord Jesus Christ. And so now the church, it says, they sent Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. And when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And we learned about Barnabas back in chapter 4. And a great many people were added to the Lord. And then Barnabas departed for, for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So while the Jewish, uh, I should say the Jerusalem apostles and believers had come to accept the fact that Gentiles from Caesarea were saved and had become a part of the church, 
This didn't initially get them to rush out and win more Gentiles to the Lord. It wasn't as if they said, okay, now we can preach to everybody. They didn't do that immediately. Because even Peter himself would continue to consider his ministry as primarily to the Jews. And we see this in the writings of Paul when he writes in Galatians 2 verses 7 through 9. He says, but on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me, Paul speaking of himself, as the gospel for the circumcised, being the Jews, was to Peter, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. And notice in verse 9 it says, And when James, Cephas, and John... Who's Cephas? That's Peter. When James, Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, in other words, toward the uncircumcised or the Gentiles, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. So they decided that their ministry was still primarily to the Jewish people. Not a wrong thing or a bad thing. But that's where Peter was and that's where the Jewish believers in Jerusalem were still. And so this is the reason why Luke now turns our attention to a new center for the spread of the gospel. No longer Jerusalem, but now Antioch, 300 miles north of Jerusalem. And in verse 19, he makes a connection back to Acts chapter 8, verse 1 and verse 4. In Acts 8, 1, it says, Now Saul was consenting to Stephen's death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So he brings us back to that particular time, because when you look at verse 19, it talks about the fact that the Jews were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen. And then in verse 4, it says, Therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. So there was confirmation there that uh, those same uh, Jewish believers who were scattered after this particular persecution arose against the church and, and against the Jewish believers, they went out to all of these areas and they preached the gospel. But as we are told here in verse 20... Uh, I should say 19, they first began to speak only to the Jews. But uh, we'll get to that in a moment. Obviously this took place before the events in Caesarea with Peter and Cornelius. But Luke began here, uh, and, and we have to understand that Luke began here to form a link with the Apostle Paul in preparation for the account of his journeys that will take up the major portion of the rest of the book of Acts. You see, once we get to chapter 13, it's going to be pretty much the ministry of Paul from there on. So that's what Luke is doing in setting that up. Now, outside of Israel, those who spread the gospel preached the word only to the Jews. Now, this may not have been completely due to prejudice, being that the Jews had the Hebrew Scriptures and they knew the prophecies of Messiah. So their message, as they went to the Jews only, their message was that God, through Yeshua, through Jesus, had fulfilled Messianic prophecy. Now the Gentiles had no background to understand this. but So they went to the Jews, and that was a good thing. 
But those that are mentioned from Cyprus and Cyrene, in a sense, they really become the heroes of this whole story. Because they may have been among those 3,000 that were saved and filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And without a doubt, these evangelists, led and prompted by the Holy Spirit, began to speak to Greeks in Antioch, telling them the good news of the Lord Jesus. And again, the Hellenists, in this particular case, are Greeks that lived in this region of Antioch and and uh, uh, in, in, in the other, uh, other places. But the, the fact of the matter is they're Gentiles. And the key to understanding this occurrence is actually found in the phrase of verse 21. In the first phrase, it says, The hand of the Lord was with them. The hand of the Lord was with them. Now, while this phrase is primarily an Old Testament expression, see it many times in the book of Ezekiel, uh, the hand of the Lord... <laughs> dealing with the power of the Lord, the might of the Lord. Luke chooses to use it, actually about four times in his writings in in the Gospel of Luke and in the book of Acts. (laughs) But here, it indicates that there was an instant revival as the message of the Gospel went forth to the Gentiles in Antioch. Because it says that a great number of people believed and they turned to the Lord, which means they turned away from their heathen and worldly ways. They turned away from their wicked ways and their customs. And they really needed that, by the way, in the city of Antioch, because Antioch, uh, as, as some historians have written, was second only to Corinth as, the, as one of the wickedest cities in the Roman Empire. And they had, they had just like uh, in Rome, and they had just like in other, other cities, these... Uh, Athens and, and whatnot, they had these, these uh, temples made to, uh, to the gods and, and, and certainly all of the practices within the temples were immoral practices. And so the Gentiles, uh, hearing this message of, 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 of the gospel of peace, the gospel of salvation, the gospel of, of righteousness in Jesus Christ, uh, became very... Uh, uh, Desirous in their heart, you know, to hear about it to, and to want to receive because it was something that was refreshing and, 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 and saving for them, you know. And so God's hand was moving and lives were changing. And in verses 22 to 26, it says, The news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. So all this stuff keeps coming back to the people in Jerusalem. And they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. Which means that the, the, between there and Antioch, he was going to be preaching wherever he went. But he was to do that as far as Antioch. He was to go to Antioch. And when he came and he had seen the grace of God and was glad, it says, and he encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man. You know what's interesting about that is that it's rare you know, to find someone that is in Scripture that is called a good man. But Barnabas is called a good man. You know, as believers in Jesus Christ, we need to be good men and good women, serving the Lord with joy and gladness, with a good testimony. You see, today people don't understand what a good person is. You ever seen the news and, and you know, you, they're, they're talking about some guy that's robbed banks or, or, or you know, they, you know, committed some kind of abuse upon some family members or even murder. And then they interview neighbors of these people and they say, oh, well, he's a good man. Not really. you just seen a little part of his life, you know. Maybe he's nice when he's mowing his lawn, but man, you know, he's out there killing people. Hello? 
You know, we think they're just good people, but the Bible says there is none good, no, not one. In and of ourselves, there's nothing good in us. The goodness in in Barnabas was Jesus' life in him. And he let that life be lived out in his works. And so it says that that, uh, he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. (coughs) And then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was for a whole year. They assembled with the church and taught a great many people. Barnabas goes and gets Saul and says, You know, Saul, it's time for you to serve the Lord. Been hiding out a few years, but now you've been learning from the Lord, but now you need to serve the Lord. And they went and taught the Lord to the Gentiles. And and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And so the same loving spirit that Peter and John, that sent Peter and John to Samaria to help the people there, moved the church in Jerusalem to send Barnabas to Antioch. Out of pure brotherly love and concern, he was sent to encourage, which was indeed Barnabas' main ministry and calling. As a matter of fact, the name Barnabas means son of encouragement. And what he saw is what I hope that we all will see in our fellowship here. What, I, what, what, what Barnabas saw is what I hope people see when they come here. He saw the grace of God. He saw the grace of God. I hope that that is what you see when you come to this church. The grace of God. Because what a testimony it was to say that he had seen the grace of God in the church in Antioch. What a contrast to those who wanted to see a legalistic or a legalistic relationship with God. This was totally different because you see the gospel frees us. It doesn't bind us any longer. It sets us free from the bondage of sin and death. But it sets us free to serve Jesus Christ. It sets us free to live for Christ. To live our lives unto the Lord Jesus who saved us and redeemed us and delivered us. This doesn't bind us any longer. We choose not to live like the world any longer. So it's freed us to live our lives for the sake of the glory of of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The next phrase in verse 23 is also greatly significant. It says that Barnabas was glad... And he encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. And I love what it says in the King James Version because the King James says that he says that with purpose of heart they should cleave, cleave to the Lord, cling to the Lord. And yes, continue with the Lord. But how many of you can say today, I'm cleaving to Jesus Christ today? I'm clinging to him. I'm going to hold on to him. I'm not going to let go. I'm going to continue with Him all the way to the very end. Whatever the end may be. The end of my life in this particular life or the end when He comes in all of His glory to take home His church. But I'm going to cling to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you see, persistence in a close walk with the Lord would be needed. And Barnabas knew this. That persistence in a close walk with the Lord would be needed through difficulties, through persecutions, through temptations that he knew they would experience. They needed to cling to the Lord. As a matter of fact, it's no different for us, except it's even worse now for us, the, the trials, the temptations, the persecutions of this life. We need to cling to Jesus Christ more than ever before. And so Barnabas' life 
proved to be an effective witness to these people because it says in verse 24, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. And I believe that that's linked to his very example, his very life. How many people have, have, have seen your life lived out in faith in Jesus Christ? And, the, and, and people have said to you, I want what you have. I don't have that. I want what you have. So Barnabas now goes on. We're doing this quickly here to close our, our service today. But Barnabas then remembered his precious brother Saul, who had been sent home to Tarsus for his own protection. And he goes to find him. And when he does, he brings Saul to Antioch to serve the Lord there. And that's an important thing too. It doesn't matter how old you are in the Lord. We, we, need, to get, we need to get serving the Lord as soon as possible. There's a discipleship going on here. Barnabas and, and Saul. And, and Barnabas leading Saul and saying, Saul, come on, let's work together. Let's, let's go and teach these people about Jesus. So there's that, there's that encouragement to you, to us here, that we're all called to serve the Lord. And to do so as soon as we can. You know, it was in Antioch that the name Christian was applied to the disciples of Christ. And by the way, that name was actually given in mockery to the Christians, to the followers of Jesus. And while the, the designation Christian itself means literally belonging to the party of Christ... Belonging to the party of Christ. It truly meant this. And this is what we need it to mean again. It truly meant one who, was turn, one who has turned from sin, trusted in Jesus Christ, and received salvation by grace. That is what a Christian is. One who has turned from sin, repented in other words, trusted in Jesus Christ, and received salvation by grace. This is what it means to be truly born again of the Spirit of God. Repentance from sin and faith in Jesus Christ. There are a lot of people today who will say, Well, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't think I'm born again. Well, you know, that's a contradiction. That's a contradiction. There are a lot of people today who say, Well, I'm a Christian because I go to church. And folks, I know this is a, this is a, you know, a well-worn cliché. But a person is, is no, no more a Christian because he goes to church than a person is a car because he stands inside of his garage. You're not a Christian because you go to church. You come to church because you know that that's what you're supposed to do as a believer in Jesus Christ. But it doesn't make you a Christian. John writes in, in, in John chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, He came into His own, speaking of Jesus, He came into His own, but His own received Him not. Verse 12 says, But to as many as received Him, to them gave He the right to become the sons of God, to as many as believe in His name, who are born not of the flesh or the will of men, but of the will of God. To be born again of the Spirit, not by things that are corruptible like silver and gold, to be born of the Spirit of God because of the blood of Christ. If we confess the name of Jesus, you know, and believe in our hearts that He's risen from the dead, then you'll be saved. Simple. Romans chapter 10. But here they're called Christians. 
If you'll notice, I've been calling the, the Jewish believers in Jer- Jerusalem just that, Jewish believers. But now there's a new designation. Began in Antioch. But anyone who believes in Jesus Christ and, 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 and lives in faith in Christ and has repented of their sins and turned from those things, they're now Christians. Both Jew and Gentile Christians. Lastly, in Acts, Acts chapter 11, verses 27 to 30, it says, And in these days prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. And then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. And then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas <coughs> and Saul. <coughs> Fellowship had been established between Jerusalem and Antioch. Others would come from Jerusalem men who were prophets, men who would pray, receive wisdom from the Lord, not so much to foretell, but to foretell the things that God was wanting them to, to know of Himself. Remember, they only had the Hebrew Scriptures. They had not yet the, the New Testament and all. And so these prophets went forth from Jerusalem to Antioch to encourage the people, to edify the people, to exhort them, to challenge the believers in Antioch. And one particular uh, prophet named Agabus received a word from the Spirit that a great famine was soon to come, and it did come. It came during the reign of Claudius Caesar, who reigned sometime between A.D. 41 and A.D. 54. Within that time, there was a great famine, and uh, that famine affected Judea. And it was a very severe famine. And Judea being where Jerusalem is, this is where the church was, the Jewish believers were there, and the disciples of the newly called Christians in Antioch responded to the needs of their Jewish brethren. But they responded with personal contributions because it says each according to his ability. Quite different than back in the book of Acts chapter 4 when they were giving uh, because they had all things in common. Here they gave from their own personal contributions because each gave according to his own ability. We're told that they were determined to send relief. When they heard of the news, when they heard of the problem, they were determined to send it And you see, we have to understand something. If we're not determined to help people, we're never going to help them. We can see the needs of people, but if we're not determined to help, we won't help. I know that many of you have been determined to help. You know, you see a need and you immediately pounce on that need. But you see, that's because you know in your heart that if you don't get determined to do it, you won't do it. It's a passing thought, it's a nice thought, but you won't do it. They did it. And this all says that they gave generously to meet the needs of their brethren in Judea. And they shared in the work of practical ministry. As Paul would later on write in Galatians chapter 6 verse 6, Let him who has taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. And the Jewish believers had brought the gospel to Antioch. So then they sent Barnabas to encourage 
the new believers, and it was only the right thing to do for the Gentiles to send material help to their Jewish brothers and sisters in Judea because they had taught them God's Word. Confidence had been placed on Barnabas and Saul to take the relief offering to Jerusalem. And I'm quite sure that along the way, Barnabas and Saul shared the good news of Jesus wherever they went. The Jewish believers... But something interesting in the first part of Acts 11, when Peter returns to Jerusalem, I look at it in three very short uh, statements. The Jewish believers resented. But then Peter presented. And then the believers consented. They had resented the fact that Peter had had uh, meals with the uncircumcised. But Peter presented what had happened because of the vision that God had given him. And because they couldn't answer the testimony, they consented that God had indeed done this work. And then the second half of Acts 11, the Christians in Antioch were graced with purpose of heart to cleave to the Lord and, de- and, and, and graced with the determination to give generously. Now, my question to you as we close this morning, is this where the church of Jesus Christ is today? Is this where individual members of the body of Christ, is this where they are today? With a purpose of heart to cleave to the Lord, with a purpose of heart and determination to give as unto the Lord with all of their heart to meet the needs? Are we purposing to live our lives clinging to Christ and not just living from Sunday to Sunday or Wednesday to Wednesday, but living every day committed to Christ with purpose of heart. That's the key. Do you have the purpose of heart to continue with the Lord? How many people do we know that have have stopped walking with God? You know, they, they they were on fire for a little while and then they got, you know, caught up in one thing or another and busy doing one thing or another and then all of a sudden they just, they just fizzled out. How many of us in this room have fizzled out? And, and actually, the good thing is that God brought you back into, into fellowship with Him and, and into service for Him. But you experience that, that time of not continuing with the Lord. You see, this is so important for us to see how this has been brought to us to encourage us that with purpose of heart, we are to continue cleaving, clinging, holding on, grasping with everything we have to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no one greater to cling to than Jesus. Do you love Him? Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Jesus is asking us, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Do you love me? Let's pray.